0: God, enter into our thoughts this day, into our reflections and meditations and prayers and infiltrate those things and bring us to a place where our hearts are open enough and our minds are open enough and our souls are open enough that we might hear what you have to say to us and to say to our world. Amen. From that text that we heard Charlie read, and then we heard Abraham Lincoln actually quote If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You're not getting paid by the word, Pastor John. As a public speaker for almost three decades, I've learned a lot of lessons about how to deliver a thoughtful and edifying sermon and also how not to give a sermon. So when I was brand new in ministry and I only got to preach every four or five weeks, when I finally rose in that pulpit, I'd often say way, way too much, try and cram way, way too many thoughts and points and ideas and words and witty quotations and corny jokes into my address. Hence that admonition from a wise parishioner, wordiness does not necessarily mean wisdom. Or as one speech teacher said, make sure that you have finished speaking before your audience has finished listening. (laughs) It is actually harder to give a short speech than a long speech. It reminds me of one long-winded, interminable speech that former President Clinton once delivered at a nominating convention. You may remember this. His largest applause line came when he said, and in conclusion. (laughs) But a good speech or a good sermon, a good address, it does not have to be wordy. It does have to be thoughtful. And those few great speeches... Friends, these can actually change the world, change the world. In a time when our culture is buried under a flood of so much cheap rhetoric, tweets and Facebook updates and multiple texts and too many emails and the media going on and on and on, it's easy to forget that truth. To remember that Jesus changed this world through his behavior, yes, but also through his storytelling, his preaching, his God-given words. Which brings me to ask us to think on this day and to consider what may be one of the best and most profound of speeches ever given in our nation's history, something I thought about this week in the run-up to our President's Day weekend. When a leader speaks well, speaks from the depths of her soul, speaks the truth in love, speaks from the heart, it can actually unite a divided and even warring people and nation. It can even lead to reconciliation, or at least the hope thereof. And so we have Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, delivered on a cold and blustery and rainy March 4th, 1865, delivered less than a month before his assassination and less than five weeks before the end of what was the worst of times of division in the history of our country, the Civil War. This was a war that claimed more than 2% of the United States population, 618,000 soldier deaths in the North and the South. Now, for comparison's sake, that would be like six and a half million deaths in the United States today. So folks then rightly wondered and worried if the republic, which was just 89 years old, if that nation would survive. Or as we heard, Lincoln said in a campaign debate in 1858, a house divided cannot stand, a quote that he, of course, took from the New Testament. And as he continued, I believe this government cannot endure half slave and half free. And of course, he was right. And thus, the biggest crisis in the history of the United States arose. Neighbor taking up arms against neighbor. Brother against brother. Citizen versus citizen. So Lincoln, four years into the war, beginning his second term, he needed somehow to offer words that might unite and not divide. Heal. And not damage the cords of brother and sisterhood that were supposed to tie together fellow citizens. And in just 700 words, think about that, 700 words in a little more than five minutes, Lincoln gave what still might be the greatest and most profound, what I would call secular sermon in our nation's history a speech that offers wisdom still today and not just in the political realm but in the human realm, in the toughest of human sins and problems for all time. How do we humans become reconciled to each other in community, in family, in country, in the world when our divisions seem to run so deep, so passionately and with such partisanship and rancor and anger Is reconciliation possible, or are we instead doomed as a species to be a house divided, a house divided? Lincoln first begins his speech with amazing clarity and truth by reminding the country that each side in the war imagined itself in the right. He said, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other, then let us not judge that we not be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. It's an amazing piece of thoughtfulness. Instead of humiliating the South, going all righteous, vilifying the enemy, Lincoln knew that peace would only be realized if both sides approached. The other with sincere humility and honest confession before the God that ironically and cruelly each claimed as their own. Lincoln knew that no one escaped the guilt and responsibility for the insanity of warfare and for the sin of slavery, south and north together. I served a church for six years in southern Rhode Island, and it was a church that was endowed by a family called the Hazards. And um, they built this beautiful church. And I said, so how did they make their money? And they made their money by creating coarse wool, which was the cloth that was used for slaves' clothes. Imagine that. And so we in the North have to be careful that we don't kind of say, well, we didn't have anything to do with it. All Americans were complicit in it. It's just something to think about. And that's what Lincoln was trying to say, that no one escapes the guilt and responsibility for the insanity of warfare and the sin of slavery. All had blood on their hands, north and south. So for civic fractures to be repaired, for a nation to be reunited, for opponents to work together again, Lincoln knew the only path to true justice and shalom was mercy and forgiveness and grace And love. And I think most important, humility. Humility. To confess that in any fight, in any war, real or rhetorical or political or social or personal in any way, in all human struggles of one against another, both sides, both, must own some of the blame and some of the responsibility and some of the sin. Which I have to say is very, very hard to imagine if all one side or the other insists upon is its own self-righteousness, its own blind surety. Well, I'm right, and you're wrong, and that's it. Friends, that is what often passes these days for civic dialogue, for political rhetoric, and for social opinions, right? We are living in an age of incredible, unbelievable self-righteousness. Everybody's got an opinion, and now everybody's also got their own personal platform for expressing those red-hot convictions. Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and thousands of media outlets. As the poet William Butler Yeats wrote in his 1919 poem, Second Coming, about the age of chaos that he lived in, quote, The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Do you hear that? The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Friends, if we are to be reconciled intimately, nationally, we must first always begin, as Lincoln reminded us, with humility. Before our shared God, before one another, within all of the debates and arguments and political warfare. Because without humility, no one finally wins. But with humility, I truly believe human reconciliation is at least possible. Humility and mercy. Mercy, another human virtue that can feel in such short supply these days. At the end of his address, this is how Lincoln concluded his thoughts for that day. They are words that still echo down the hallways of history, words for then and words for now, and words for always in the human condition. With malice towards none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations, with malice toward none. Lincoln was speaking as the victor in the struggle, and he would have been excused if he offered words of triumph or words of victory to end his address. You know, spike the football, drop the microphone, do a little victory dance in front of your opponent, remind them who is boss, humiliate them even. Friends, that is what often passes these days for civic dialogue. For the way our leaders speak about and to one another, it is a zero-sum game. You must lose for me to win. You must go down in defeat, complete defeat, if I am to know that I am the champion. But Lincoln wisely knew God knows that true human reconciliation, it must be about mercy. Mercy, forgiving another, not because you have to, but because you want to, offering a hand of peace. Because at the end of the day, we all still have to live with each other. We seem to forget that. Mercy, doing the right thing and not just the righteous thing. Declaring that love makes right, not might makes right. A house divided cannot stand. A religion, a world, a family, a country, a community. I just finished reading a fascinating book about the end of the Roman Republic and Empire. The world and the government under which Jesus lived and came of age and taught and preached and died and rose. And the sad truth that I learned is that Rome fell, it collapsed, not so much under the threat of external enemies, but instead because it was divided. Because it literally tore itself apart from within. A house divided cannot stand in 30 AD, in 1865, in 2019. That's what Lincoln knew. That's what Lincoln preached. And that's the eternal wisdom we would do well to remember and to heed and to live out in these far too often self-righteous, unmerciful, chaotic days. Reconciliation. It is possible and it is finally the only thing that will save us. In personal relationships and communal relationships, reconciliation, and always with humility and with mercy and with God's love. Let all God's people of peace and justice and reconciliation say, Amen.